This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. Yeah, IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com forward slash B. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for FlexBlocks. Win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Yeah, make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash BE. Edutech Guys Radio, radio radio.edutechguys.com. The opinions expressed on the site and this program for those who participants are not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any specific educational entity, sponsor, company, state, or government agency. Hello and welcome to EduTech Guys Radio, brought to you by Southwest Arkansas Education Cooperative and Hope Public Schools, both located in Hope, Arkansas. And we also want to give a big shout out to CDWG for their sponsorship through some of the equipment that we use here on the show. How are you guys doing? I am David Henderson. And I'm Jeff Madlock. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the show. We got a very cool show uh, for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, a conference that happens in Wichita this time every single year. It is called Podstock, and uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that. We will also be talking with Chad Freeman, and uh, we're going to be talking about gaming in education, not gamification, but gaming in education. So I think that's going to be very cool. And then um, later in the show, Jeff and I will talk about tech incubators in school. Yeah, that's a big one. I think that's going to be a really Fun topic. I've been looking forward to talking about that. We talked about it, talking about it last week. <laughs> talk about, talk about, talk about. There's, a, there's an old tune. There you go. There you go. I added that in there. So I, I knew you wanted it. So you had that look on your face. I did. Give, I, give I, it was there. The, I had to have it. Give me the synthesizer. Give me the synthesizer solo. Solo. Um, oh. Yeah. Hey, Podstock 2016 is going on uh, right now. It Start is. Start today. Yes. Today's its first day. It's in Wichita, Kansas. Is that right? Yes, it is. Which yep. mm-hmm. um, in, in, uh, Old Town. Old Town. Mm-hmm. That's a really neat place. Lots it of cool restaurants cool. and cool hotels and things like that. Um, uh, our good friends, Ginger Lumen, Kevin Honeycutt, all those folks from ESDAC, they, that's who sponsors the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They put it on. This year, it's Back to the Future. Yes. Very cool. Yeah, stay tuned in the, in the next 48 hours for something from us for those guys. Just since we're not there this year, we thought we'd make a little extra, you know, uh, uh, treat for them so we'll call it a treat for them i was so gonna the, say that's one way to put it yeah it might but, be uh, a catastrophe but uh, well, uh you know it'll be funny either way it goes but you know it's funny uh we have uh, been putting out there you we have a, a call-in line uh, yes. which is actually just a, a recording line so you can call in from conferences and tell us about your conference and what's going on um it's 870-729-1414 and you can call in, and we've been putting this out on Twitter, and I'd like to play a little one we got in uh, right now. So uh, I'd like to play one that's, that's coming out, and uh, this is, uh, should be pretty cool. And uh, it's, uh, this is one that's from Darren Anderson. He, uh, he had called in and left some stuff for us. Hi, this is Darren Anderson. I'm from Rock Springs, Wyoming. I am currently sitting in the Denver airport on my way to Wichita for Podstock 16. So excited to be there. Um, the the reason I'm most excited is, is the family atmosphere that I've heard about. This is the togetherness of of all the people attending. Um, no one's left to sit by themselves and think by themselves. It's it's a, a family collaborative thing. I'm really really excited about that and to meet people from um, all over the country. Thanks. 
Yeah, that was Darren Anderson uh, giving us a holler and a shout out uh, about uh, what's going on at Podstock right now. And um, pretty interesting stuff that, that's happening there. Yeah. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, first of all, I definitely recommend that you get out there and follow hashtag Podstock16. And it's P O D S T O C K 16, Podstock16. Um, but this was, um, this was conceived by uh, Kevin Honeycutt and some of the other folks at ESDAC uh, in Kansas, um, I think around 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. Um, and it's a very cool, uh, what I would call unconference or open conference, or I, I don't know how you want to, I'm not sure the, the tag they assign to it, but essentially... Um, they have uh, ideas for conversations that are education, specifically they are education technology related. And then those are um, kind of brainstormed and then divided up among the various rooms that they have there uh, where the conference is in Old Town, Wichita. And then you just go to the room where you would like to participate in that particular conversation. They have that conversation for, uh, I think it's about an hour or so. Uh, and then everybody breaks up and you shuffle up and deal and go to another room. And <laughs> Yeah, that's how they do it, isn't it? It is. It's very cool. It's very cool. Pretty cool. A lot stuff. of fun. A lot of fun. And it's a very, um, very close-knit family um, feeling environment. Um, you're not overwhelmed by thousands of people. Uh, you know, they, they limit it to, uh, I think it's just a couple hundred. Uh, and most of the folks that go know each other through social media. Uh, so um, it's, it's a really cool way to put um, uh, faces with names um, and or voices with faces and names and, and just get to know each other, uh, you know, in that interpersonal uh, venue. It's, it's very cool. Very cool. Cool. Hey, listen, if you're out there listening to us right now, you can always catch us online at www.edutechguys.com. You can catch us on Twitter at twitter.com slash edutechguys. And pretty much use edutechguys anywhere out there in social media. That's right. Google edutechguys. Yeah, you'll find us out there. <laughs> We're out um, there. Hey, if you're listening today and you have a quick question or anything you want to ask about, or maybe in the future, you can do hashtag ETG chat. And uh, that'll catch you up on with us and let us know what's going down. Yeah. Cool. Um... So I tell you what, we're going to take a quick little break here and check an audio problem we might be having. Okay. So uh, this is uh, this is a little music by someone that we found on um, uh, uh, SoundCloud. This is a uh, a Zhongqing Dang. I know that sounds like that's his name, and it's the song "Isn't She Lovely." So we'll be right back. Hang hang tight. Listen to Deadju Tech Guys coming to you live from Southwest Arkansas Educational Co-op in Hope, Arkansas. <laughs> I had to think for a second there. From the sun. The, uh, that was a great little tune, Isn't She Lovely? We're just checking a few little audio things before we, we kick into um, a good time we're having here today. And uh, our first guest, I'll let you do the rest of the intro. Bring us in, David. Oh, uh, there's, uh, okay. Today's guest <laughs> is uh, Chad Freeman. And so we want to welcome Chad to the show. How's it going, man? It's going wonderful. How are you guys? Awesome. We are doing well. We can hear you just fine. You can hear us just fine, I'm hoping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> I don't want to ever assume, uh, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> All right, so, um, you know, um, basically, why don't you uh, let folks know, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, where you work, those types of things, and then we'll get to talking about gaming and education. Sounds good. Um, like they mentioned, I'm Chad Freeman. I'm the AP Physics and Physical Science teacher at Ashdown High School. 
and I just recently graduated from the University of Arkansas with a master's degree in educational technology. I've been doing several of the different conferences, HISTE and SWOW throughout Southwest Arkansas, yeah. and I've just been a big proponent of using not only technology in general, but specifically video games because of the passion that I have in my daily life. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So taking your uh, something that you enjoy, a hobby that you have, and figuring out how to make that apply to the classroom. Exactly. Yeah, that is cool. That's very cool. Before we get too much further, uh, your Twitter hashtag, or not hashtag, but your Twitter handle. At Freeman Ed Tech. All right. So at Freeman Ed Tech, and uh, you can follow him, and I definitely recommend you do so. Yeah, and if you'll just check out uh, the Twitter feed for EduTech, guys, you'll find uh, Chad's link also on there. We'll make sure it's out there. Yeah, put that out for you. So so let's, let's talk about, um, let's start with, Gaming in education in general, kind of give a, you know, kind of, let's, let's just talk about getting kind of that big picture overview of, of ways that uh, gaming ties into education and or the other way around. Absolutely. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, is understanding kind of the history of video games and kind of coming into it in, in terms of what our students and what our teachers are expecting and how those two expectations may not always fit. Okay. And so when you look at you know, the rise of video games, the, the first real home console systems came out in the late 80s and early 90s after we had the Atari era and the Commodore 64 and those types of things. So there's a huge generational gap where we have most of our students that have grown up with a video game, not only in their house, but with smartphones in their pocket at all times. And a lot of our teachers may be considerably older and they don't have that same expectation. And so right. what they look at this as is simply it's a, it's a game, it's a, a toy, and it's something that distracts or removes from the educational experience. And so for me, above and beyond everything that I've worked with when trying to really promote this idea is just taking away this mentality that this is something that detracts and this is actually something that can be promoted. When you think about education and specifically video games and education, a lot of things pop into mind that we've probably all had for years and years and things like Oregon Trail or Math Blaster right. or any one yes. of these education <laughs> websites. Right. And as much fun and interesting as they can try to be, they just don't cut it in terms of some of the other things that we see students playing, such as you know Candy Crush or um, Clash of Clans or Mario or Halo or anything that you would find. Most of these students playing in is that disconnect between what the students are interested in and what we're trying to get them involved in. That's, I think, created this mentality among teachers. So what I've been trying to push and really promote is we need to stop looking at looking for the video game that's going to solve our classroom problem. Uh -huh. Something, for example, like Minecraft is wonderful, and I'm a huge proponent of it, but it is not the perfect tool in every single classroom. Sure, sure. Instead, what a teacher needs to do, and what they should be doing in all areas, not just video games, is finding out what the students are interested in, understanding that themselves and then finding their subject area within that game. If you're an English teacher, there are hundreds of games that your kids are already playing that have some of the best writing, some of the most emotional and impactful storytelling, some of the great characterization that you would look for in the greatest classical works that you teach in your class. And your, kid, your kids are absorbing it constantly but if they don't have a teacher to guide them through that interpretation not only is it not enriching their experience but it's also creating a separation because you're showing them this old dusty book that you've pulled out of a stock room that's right. not interesting to them and even though they need that validation of that particular type of work they also need to see that value in what they're experiencing right now sure and that's sure. a real challenge to teachers especially to teachers that just aren't interested and so I've been really kind of waging that battle of getting them to understand that you don't have to have a perfect video game or you don't have to even really like video games per se. This isn't something you got to go home and play all the time to be able to understand that you can look at a piece of art or you can look at a work of media and you can find the value of your subject area. And what I tell teachers, kind of the hook, the one thing that I really push to try to get them to understand is if this stuff that you're teaching is valid to them, then it should be around them all the time. And if it is around them all the time, chances are it's in that game as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think you touched on a very important point in that um, a lot of teachers, 
look for the one perfect thing. And, and that's one of the concepts Jeff and I talk about a lot on the show. Essentially, the equivalent of a video game silver bullet, right? I just, I want the one silver bullet that is going to cure all of my ails and put the demons to rest. That just, you know, that just isn't the case. Um, there's, a, there's a game that I played uh, not long ago, um, and, I, and I can't remember the exact title, but it's something along the lines of like puzzles under the hill or puzzles in the hill or something like that. It's just this little independent game where you put puzzles together, but when you assemble the puzzles, they are works of art, you know, classical pieces of, of art. And so, sure. in fact, it, when, I was, when I was playing it, um, that was one of the discussions that I was having uh, with the folks that I was telling about it. You know, I mean, there were, you know, Monet and Manet and Mondrian and, you know, all these folks. You can have those conversations, even though, yes, the game is, I mean, very simplistic. Uh, you're a... Um, a possum that runs around and puts these puzzle pieces together. I have yet to understand the concept of the game. I, I'm like, I'm baffled by it. But by the same token, though, it's incorporating these things that in a way that is, from my perspective anyway, when I was a student, you know, I was not a big, you know, art history buff, the, the class itself. You know, it was just, man. But here is a game that I could play and there's the work of art that the teacher was just telling me about. I see it in this game or I see a work of art. And now maybe the assignment, the project, whatever is to go and, you know, research that particular piece. So I definitely, uh, definitely agree with the whole, there is no silver bullet aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, like I mentioned, this is not something that's, you know, just video games. If a teacher is able to look at the TV shows the kids are watching or the books that the kids are reading, they're going to find this kind of stuff all over the place. The one advantage yeah. and the one thing that I think singularly does tie to video games is video games is one of the only real forms of media that involves the audience. I mean, you have a little bit of it with dramatic performance, you have a little bit of it in some other areas, but a video game is quintessential the audience participation element. Yes. And that feeling of agency, the ability to control what's happening on the screen and be able to control the outcome of a situation is something that you can't get out of a painting or get out of a different um, work of art in, in almost any situation. Sure. And so we need to see that advantage in video games and we need to take advantage of it while we're also working and looking at, you know, too many times I've talked to teachers that just basically say, well, this, this is for kids, this is children's stuff, or it's not interesting to me or whatever. And I, the one thing that I've, I've posed back to them, I said, if you had a student that was taking an art appreciation class or music appreciation, and they were going to be studying the Beatles, I think you as an adult, as a parent, would be pretty happy with that, pretty excited, because that's something that maybe either you grew up with or you understand the effect that it had on not only our culture, but on music in general. Uh -huh. But if you were to take that exact same argument 50 years back into the height and the heyday of what the Beatles were, and you said, okay, we're going to have an art appreciation or music appreciation on the Beatles, this, this new hit group out of uh, Europe, and, and everybody's going to love it. People would have laughed at you at that time because it's right. so hard for people after, you know, they've kind of come to that adulthood and they've kind of been crystallizing what they see as the, the, the true good classic work to understand and appreciate the new stuff that's coming out. And what you're going to see is all of these students that are growing up with these video games, whether they be on a, a tablet, a smartphone, or on a console, are going to become teachers themselves. And I think within 20, 30 years, it's not going to be very odd to have not only video games in the classroom, but video games as a point of discussion. Let's go back and let's look at some really good classic video games. And just that idea in general is really exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very cool. It's a, it's a neat concept. So I guess my question is, is that so right now, you know, for you, which, which video games do you see interjecting into the classroom right now and how would you use them? Uh, for me, specifically as a physics teacher, uh, probably the biggest one that I've used is uh, Angry Birds. Sure, sure. And, and what it came down to in my classroom is I found a way to, to put it on the, the Chrome app on my smart board, project it up on the wall, and the kids could come up with that touch screen and play a couple of games. And then I started asking them basic questions. Well, how fast is that bird moving? What's the gravity in this world? What's the weight of this object compared to another one? 
And it was something that at first they were, well, we don't care. If it's a game, right. you fling the bird, you hit the object, and, and you're done. What, what is the point of this discussion? And I led that to a discussion of coding. Now, I wasn't planning on teaching coding, but it's in the curriculum, and it's in that concept as something that might as well be discussed. A computer programmer has to sit down and type in the value of gravity in that game. Sure. And then they run a couple tests, and if they like it, that's great, but if they don't, they have to adjust it. Do I go higher? Do I go lower? What effect is this going to have on the game if I make gravity just a few increments higher, just a few increments lower? What is that going to do to the overall enjoyment? So this computer programmer needs to have at least a level of understanding of physics in order to make the game work at a level that they want it to be. And it started in this other discussion of, well, how about other games? Is every game the same? Kind of going in farther and farther into that discussion, just based off of one simple game that a lot of people would basically overlook as something that's not very effective. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very cool. So, okay, so um, in addition to Angry Birds, um, what else? Uh, do you have anything, uh, I don't necessarily mean to say this, I don't mean this derogatorily, but I mean, is there something more current that you're exploring? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's several that I'm looking at right now. Uh, probably the most current, and I think you guys have probably heard about this, Pokemon Go. Uh -huh. And if you haven't heard of it or not familiar with it, it's the same Pokemon fad that came through right at the late 90s, early 2000s, where everybody was trying to catch these little monsters and compete with them. And in this game, the, the new hook, as it were, is it's no longer inside of a console that actually applied it to a real-world map. So right. your location on your smartphone allows you to travel around and find these monsters that have been overlaid digitally within the phone on a physical environment. So, for example, near my house, we have a post office, and it's designated as a gym where people have to go and compete with the monsters that they catch. Sure. Now, the sure. advantages to this is you're getting kids out, you're getting them moving around, that's physical education. You're getting these kids to understand um, comparative advantage, which monster is better and for what reasons, and that can tie into math, that can tie into engineering. There's all kinds of minor discussions you can have just with why did you pick this one over this one? And then even farther, you go into you know, geography, you can go into world history because the game they cannot individually pick the locations that are important. There's just too many places in the United States that they'd have to go. So what they did is they took public sites and historical sites that are already database, and they just tagged them. Just this wild, crazy scattering across the map of every location they could find that they knew was as public access as possible. This is a great opportunity for your teachers to say, okay, I know you guys are going to play on the weekend. If you will take a picture, which is cameras already integrated in the phone, at a location that you went to, and you'll write me two sentences about that location and why it's important, take a little picture of the Pokemon you caught there, bring that back, I'll give you five extra points. And that's a way not only to integrate basic geography or basic history, but also local history, Arkansas history, and the history of your town or the location that you're in. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's funny. Um, my wife and I were talking about, um, we were talking about this, I don't know, now I can't remember, yesterday, day before. I mean, you know, it hasn't been out all that long. Um, but we, we were talking about um, that in a weird sort of way, uh, it has become, Pokemon Go um, has sort of become like the new geocache. Um, where, you know, you don't, you don't even actually, you know, you don't, at this point, you can get to the location um, and, and I guess there's a little bit of hunting involved in terms of, you know, finding the particular Pokemon that's there. So in a weird sort of way, I guess it kind of relates to geocaching on that, on that perspective, but also in terms of the, like you were mentioning the whole geography, you know, now you're going to places that you probably, frankly, wouldn't have necessarily gone to, especially as a, as, as a, as a, as a student, right? You know, how many students... Absolutely. Look, you know, be honest, how many students, especially teenage students, are going to the library? How many teenage students are going to the post office, right? But now all of a sudden, they have a reason to go there. They have a reason to, you know, to to at least have an idea and awareness that it is there. 
are they going yes. to, you know, are they going to care that it's the post office? Are they going to care that it's the library? Well, maybe not. But like you said, if you, if a teacher then turns around and finds a way to tie those particular sites into the lesson, then yeah, uh, you know, why not? You know, why not mm-hmm. em- embrace what all the kids are doing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What's interesting is, is that, um, it was really smart of uh, Pokemon to do this because they actually got really lucky. Uh, Nine Tick is the company that actually owned a thing called it was an app called Ingress, and Ingress yes. had already built all the uh, their servers already contained all the geolocation, so they just combined those and you know it actually came out like in October of 2015. You know they had released that they had, you know, already got together with Ingress and um, had done that. You talk about a, a really you know cool you know, feature that they've had, they've taken an existing app that wasn't doing very well and the servers and and the data that's already been mined there and and added to it. There's another great one too I'll throw out since we're talking about geolocation is a field trip. That's a really wonderful one that lets you take it and you can, you know, you point it at a, you know, a a building or an old post office or a a monument and they bring up uh, lots of useful data. They actually show you more pictures and give you, you know, a history background of it. So that one's being built out too. And it's really interesting because the company that actually, the sub-company that owns Pokemon Go is um, Alphabet. Right. Which or, is, or used to. I, I can't remember if they actually still own them or not, but they were an Alphabet company, of, which, of course, is part Google. of the Google yeah, family. It's quite so. interesting that that's the way that <laughs> yeah. played out. Uh, and then my understanding is, before all of this, back in, was it? 2014, 2013, I can't remember. Somewhere back there, like that was that was the... Um, uh, April Fool's thing that that there was going to be this new interactive Pokemon type huh. thing, and you know, and now all of a sudden, oh, hey, a few years later, oh, guess what? We decided to make this a real thing. And it's crazy how how Pokemon Go has just absolutely taken over the world. I mean, like I, I think somewhere I read in the first three days of its release between in-game ads and in-game purchases the game had already brought in like, I don't know, like $9 million or some crazy amount of <laughs> over three days. I was like, holy cow. Yeah. Uh, I believe what I've heard is that it, it currently, either currently or at one point it was measured, had more active users at any given time than both Twitter and Tinder. Wow. That's just ridiculous. Well, well, well at least it's better than Tinder. That's, a, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to use that app in class, that's for sure. <laughs> And that's one a, whole, of the things that's a that, whole different education, man. That's a <laughs> exactly. One cool. of the things that that a lot of people though are overlooking is why this game blew up as much as it did. Right. Yes. When when you look at the original game, you know this this really would have been even that more explosive had it come out when the first original games came out. We're into I think the uh, seventh or eighth generation. They continue adding more and more areas and Pokemon and things. And this game, the reason that it exploded as much as it did is because it's integrated something that a lot of people don't realize people want, and that is that community. Because right. for so often, the game existed solo on a console. It was usually a handheld device, though they did have a couple of spinoff games that were on the larger consoles. But the online work was basically, I have this monster, I want this other monster, and you kind of shout into the void and hope that somebody else wants that same trade sure. on the opposite sure. end. Right. It, it wasn't a real community or re- real social aspect where this game gets people together in groups. I've seen roves of teenagers wandering the, the sidewalks, right. all trying to either catch or you know gain or maintain or whatever it is that they want within that little trip of theirs. And it's something that they can experience away from the isolation of a single game. And for so much of, you know, the history of video games has been seen as this isolating, antisocial thing. And in reality, it's not isolating or antisocial. The technology just didn't catch up to the social aspect that was already available within the games. And what teachers really need to understand is that these games are a way for people to not only interact with their peers, but opportunities for teachers to teach the proper interaction with peers. And we talk so much about digital citizenship, and we don't talk about it in terms of video games. We talk about it on things like Facebook and Twitter and the pictures that you post. 
but we don't really talk about when you get on Xbox Live and you run into that person that maybe using, you know, offensive slurs or maybe using profanity. And, and those are the types of things that you run into because we're not discussing digital citizenship. We're not teaching the kids how to interact online. And they're kind of free to go with their own. And, they don't, and teachers don't realize that it's not Facebook and Twitter where you're hearing a lot of the vitriol. It's these other things where it's no longer about a picture of a friend. It's about a game that I have to win or I have to do well for the sake of my team. And the tension runs higher. It becomes that much harder to maintain that, you know, positive, you know, amicable nature that you would want to have. Right. Well, and I think I, I think that's a very key aspect. And, and I think part of the reason why um, I, I think part of the reason why Minecraft in education has been so successful is the is that community aspect you know there are there are a lot of games where even if you're playing together uh, kind of like what you're talking about you know a lot of the times there's community but it's um adversarial community <laughs> you know yeah. it, you know you're out to destroy the other person um where minecraft you know here was a game that that came about and said oh, wait a minute we can actually play this game and we can all learn cool new things but we can do that together helping each other accomplish whatever particular goals we're trying to accomplish and i think uh i think the more games that we get that follow that pattern um the more open perhaps receptive you know pick pick a word uh, I, I think that's where some of the teachers that are a little apprehensive i think that's where they'll start to kind of relax a little bit and and let that become part of their curriculum even if it's on the periphery still kind of start to bring that in but it's got to be the cooperative type environment rather than combative Exactly. And one of the things when I've talked to students that I've seen a lot of times, especially in your more uh, technical games, something like World of Warcraft mm -hmm. or um, other games where you have a lot of technical knowledge. And for those of you not familiar with World of Warcraft, you create a character, they have a set of skills, they have all kinds of resources, whether it be financial or whether it be, you know, in terms of their combat. Every time they cast a spell, there's a length of time that it has to take. And so there's whole systems and groups that work together to try to optimize and find them most efficient way to play a character and we have people we have students sitting in front of a computer absorbing all of this skill and knowledge and they're eight nine ten years old and when they wander into a classroom and the teacher says okay we're going to talk about elapsed time they're the kids in the back of the room that don't understand right. and it has nothing to do with an inability to understand if you put it to them in front of them the way world of warcraft does a way a different game that's designed to be engaging then those types of things just click and the students get them and they're able to not only learn them, but really excel and really show some creativity and some understanding that goes above and beyond the average player. And we're not making that connection in the classroom. We're looking at these kids and say, well, well, they're just behind. They're low. They're, they're right. the ones that we're always going to be playing catch up with. It's because we don't see all of the ways that they're already using it in their, their regular life as it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, the interesting thing I think here is that we're not going to see educational, we're not going to see uh, video games built educationally because the money is just not there. You know, they're making a lot more money with Gamefly and kids buy, outright buying games or buying online PC games uh, than they're going to see putting them in education. So I guess, you know, I guess that's my next question is, so... What do you see the future of gaming and education being? I mean, who's going to start taking the time to find existing games and, and, and making sure that the curriculum is modified to teach those things you're talking about through current games? I mean, where do you see, where's your, what's your plan for that? Well, and I don't completely agree with you on the idea that video games aren't going to become more strictly education focused. Uh, I look at things like Minecraft EDU or Kerbal Space Program EDU as ways that even though it was a, an entertainment product, the companies see a real value in education financially, and they're willing to at least add and modify in order to make it more accessible to a classroom. What we really need to see in the future is, um, and I, you know, we constantly get back to this, but it's more connectivity in the classroom until right. students are and more importantly, not students, but teachers are comfortable with having devices regularly used in the classroom. 
you're not going to see a lot of these things. And what I see personally is we can continue to add technology and become more comfortable with things like bring your own device and other aspects that integrate the classroom into a digital environment. And then the video games are going to become unavoidable. I already have issues in my classroom right now with things like Clash of Clans and all of these other games where the students are more absorbed into that content. And I'm competing with that to right. try to engage them when they have a device that was made by a company with millions of dollars of development put just to be engaging. Right. And so I've, instead of trying to fight that, which is not every battle I'm going to win, instead, if I can find a way to take their research and development for engagement, and I can find a way to turn that into engagement in my class, I'm using that weapon against, or I'm using that weapon for my own benefit. And there's nobody going to lose in that case. The companies sure. are going to be happy to see that kind of thing. And yeah. so that's what we really need to see is more technology coming in and more teachers willing to approach the subject of video games. And the companies will wake up and start using those avenues as ways because you have to remember this company, you know, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, they understand that if you want to get people attached to video games, you have to do it early. Sure. Yeah, and if they absolutely. can get a video game in kindergarten that has a big Nintendo logo or has a giant Sony logo, and they can get those kids playing, they know that when they come out with the next console or they come out with the next big title, they've already got a group of kids locked into that culture and that mentality. And that's what a lot of cell phone uh, users have started to understand, and you're starting to see more devices that go younger and younger and younger, really trying to push that that connectivity mentality is as soon as they get you locked in in the beginning, they can hold you a lot easier and you get that brand loyalty. So I think we're going to see the connectivity in the classroom. We're going to see more devices and then we're going to see teachers that are going to have to address the video game aspect and that social engagement aspect that they're already fighting in their class. And it's going to be the ones that are able to turn that around and make that an advantage that are really, really going to see the successes when applying video games. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Hey, well, Chad, I'm the, I'm the timekeeper taskmaster for this show and uh, we're going to start wrapping it up, but I have one more thing to ask you. So what's, what's the future for Chad Freeman? Tell us what's in, what's your plans, what's happening with you, uh, any other workshops you're doing. We saw you at Histi because you right. were doing workshops there on testing in the classroom. So uh, tell us what's going to happen with you before we uh, jump out of this interview. Well, my new big thing that I'm working on is uh, robotics in my 10th grade physical science classes uh, using the uh, Hummingbird Robotics Kit, as well as I'm working on a grant right now for a 3D printer that'll allow me to print some of the different parts and things and go a little bit more advanced as well as some uh, medical applications that uh, I think are going to be a real advantage, not only to my students in the classroom, but I think I can benefit the community as well. Yeah. And coming up, I've got SWOW, and uh, usually it's around November, end of October, uh -huh. and I'll be looking to see what content I want to present there. If I decide to talk about robotics or if I uh, pick a different topic, we'll see when they do a call for presenters. Sure. Cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, there's a good chance we'll be at SWOW. Uh, yeah. We were last time, and we usually show up there. So uh, we hope to see you there. If not, we will be in touch in the fall and see how things are going with your class. That sounds good. Hey, thanks, Chad. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you guys for inviting me. Hey, listen, you're listening to edutechguys.com, the radio.edutechguys, and uh, we'll be right back. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, listen to a little music, and uh, reshuffle the cards and get ready for the rest of the show. So hang tight. See you in just a bit.
Hey, you're listening to edutechguys.com, radio.edutechguys. Coming to you live from the Southwest Arkansas Educational Cooperative in Hope, Arkansas. Hey, stay tuned. We're going to come back and talk a little bit some more, I think, about Pokemon Go because we actually had it in our show notes and uh, a little bit about tech incubators in the school. Stay tuned. Edutech Guys. a great tune a comedian by tim goins uh tim is a former student of mine actually hey that's cool yeah he actually cut that recording i think when he was 17 oh my god yeah. <laughs> wow okay yeah he's kind of a monster on the guitar hey we want to thank uh chad freeman for coming on the show and talking about gaming and education with us and uh he's uh he's a he's a teaches physics and uh and at ashdown yes arkansas Glad to have him. We met Chad at Histy, and he came on, and he was doing a workshop there about um, testing mm-hmm. in the classroom, and uh, really great stuff there. If you want to check that one, it's actually on the box. Yeah, so, yep. it's all out there, man. So I tell you what, we're uh, jumping into, so we were talking about Pokemon Go. Right. And um, uh, one of my guys was telling me the other night, it was funny, uh, Chad was also talking about that, the fact that it, it's, get, it's building a kind of a physical community no longer a virtual community right now you're out you know that was one of my big things is hey at least it's getting people walking on my way here i passed three or four people walking around the downtown hope area with their cell phones playing pokemon go so hey you know it that's interesting one of my guys my system administrator he said hey i met some people the other night we were they were out looking too and i met some people and you know it was really cool so you know it's kind of interesting that's not happened before has it at this level i mean at this level i mean because now my, my daughter even said, we were out in Texarkana looking for Pokemon, and we ran into some of the kids that we didn't even know that were from a whole different school district. And, right. you know, we were talking to them. I was thinking, wow, this is kind of interesting. This is you know, becoming a really kind of a neat thing to happen. I, I saw where someone said that on one of the list serves that you and I are on, said, oh, this, this fad will be over in two weeks. No, I, I don't think it will. Do you think it will? Do you think it'll be over? You know, uh, well, uh, that, that's a tough one, and... and uh, the the issue is, you know, part of me says yes because, you know, these this day and age, frankly, anything that comes along, you know, two weeks down the road, people have long forgotten about it. I think here's what I, here's what I think will ha- it has to happen if it's going to last longer than two weeks. Um, there's going to have to be some kind of incentive for the players to keep playing, and I, I mean, I know that's very generic sounding, and that applies to like every game known to man, right? But I really do. In in this particular case, I mean, this is absolutely taking over anyone who's remotely interested. Um, even even some of the folks who are just curious in general, you know, they're out there firing up the app, seeing what it's about, what's going on, and they turn around. They're like, oh, oh, that's cool. There's a I don't know a Jigglypuff sitting on my table, and they and you know suddenly now you know twelve Pokemon later, they're running around all over town like everybody else. Um, but you know, one of the appeals of the original game was that, um, you know, the object was to, you know, quote unquote, catch them all. Uh, but uh, it was one of those things where, especially in the very first iteration, uh, you actually couldn't catch them all unless you purchased the additional games because you had to have red, blue, and yellow in order to collect uh, all of the Pokemon. And I only know this, like I only know this because my son is a Pokemon fanatic has been since the day he was born quite literally um and now he just i mean he is so excited about this particular game um so i think they're gonna have to find ways to keep people interested it can't just be oh yeah i went out and yeah i've collected the same pokemon at the same place 
you know, for five days in a row now. Yeah, that's going to get boring real quickly. Um, possibly the social connection, you know, might help some. Um, in fact, uh, my son had come in this weekend. Um, he's in college now. Uh, and so he, uh, he had come in and he said that he was driving around and he had pulled over outside of a place that was, um, I think it was a gym maybe. And so he was parking along the curb and, and he said he was sitting in his car and he said, all of a sudden this girl came running over, pounding on his window. So he put his window down and she said, are you red or whatever color? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, we're team such and such. And instantly there was this weird connection and I say weird, it's weird to me. <laughs> there, you know, there was this, there was this social connection and then immediately there's a guy who comes around the corner and he's on the same team. And so yeah. they all get together and they battle the gym and do whatever yeah. it is you do in Pokemon go. So I think, I think it, as long as the excitement can maintain that level, it'll last longer than two weeks. Yeah. If it wanes though, even a little by next weekend, everybody's going to be like, what was Pokemon go? Yeah. You know, uh, Chad Freeman just popped in on the, the chat to tell us they're adding ways to trade and to battle each other in the next few weeks. You know they are. Right. I think once they went, oh my gosh, we're making a ton of money off this. This is taking off. Let's hire, no, hopefully they went, let's hire more developers so they got more coders from jobs. And, right. Yeah. You know, and and I, I, that's the way I see it. You know, it builds out. The sure. cool part about it all is that for education, you know, just the educationally minded, you know, math, physics, you know, everything STEM-wise, STEM and STEAM, it's beautiful. Graphics. Sure. I mean, because now we're talking, you know, I know Pokemon has all these characters. I don't know much about Pokemon, mm -hmm. but I know it has all these characters. Well, now I guess maybe they're going to build more. You know, now it's like maybe players, the interesting part would be to me is that if you get to us, and maybe this is how it works, if you get to a certain level where you can create players and leave them in spots for people. See, I, to me, I think that would be, that would be an excellent uh, spinoff or, or addition to the system. You know, that's one of the things that my son and I were talking about. I said, of course, at that time, I did not know that they had this, had access to all this data that was already out there. Yeah. Right. So my question at that time, and again, this was when it first came out. Um, you know, my question was, well, how did all that stuff get in there in the first place? But not only that, if I wanted, let's say I want Southwest co-op to be a gym. Yeah. How do I, how do I do, I should be able to do that. Well, that's what, a chance of that is actually what happens. That's where you leave your Pokemon to protect the gym. Well, Nate just, uh, well, one of my guys, I said his name out there, sorry. <laughs> uh, one of my guys, just, he's, he's chatting with me too. I, I hope he doesn't mind. But um, he just told me, um, he said he can't wait. Even in its current state, it's competitive. He said last night they went to a, a neighboring town to try to take it over. And so he woke up this morning to messages that, hey, it's on. So it's real competitive. And um, he said, even in this town, you know, Little Hope, Arkansas, right. he said it's mental downtown at night. There's 20 plus people walking around trying to, you know, tag Pokemon. Right. This is, it, it's, it's interesting. It, it, it's a really neat fad. And um, I, I think it's really, really crazy. Uh, hashtag to follow. Um, hashtag games for Ed. Uh, there'll be a talk about Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go and education. Hashtag games, G-A-M-E-S, the number four E-D, games for Ed. That sounds great. I want to thank the good doc, um, one of my guys. <laughs> there now I've given out not only his handle but his first name, um, uh, but he he has a good hashtag. And like you said, tonight there's going to be a talk um, on that hashtag. Might check it out and see what time it starts. That'll be really cool. Uh, hey, let's jump off that one. So yeah, uh, and I want to thank Chad again for bringing that up while we were talking. You know, yeah, the history stuff. You know, using ingress already, but mm -hmm. you know it, it is right. Someone said to me, yeah, it's really neat, like post offices and museums and cemeteries and churches. Well, you're talking about some of the oldest structures sure. and places in our country. I can see why those would be chosen to be on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so let's talk about this, tech incubators in school. Okay. Now, this, this was an article that I read back on July 1st is when it came out. If you're not following Google for Education, uh, their blog, it's Google for Education. Uh, G O O G L E F O R E D U C A T I O N dot blogspot dot com. That's uh that's where Google posts all the stuff that they're involved in and they're that's happening in education for them. It's a great way to keep up with what Google is doing. So I highly recommend you know following that one. If you use the RSS feeder, you know pop on that one. 
And I just uh, I just threw that out on Twitter, the link to the actual article that we're talking about. Yep, and you so. were retweeted almost instantly as my watch buzzed. So <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, too fast for, for me. It's too fast. For me. On Google for Education, back on July 1st, it was this, how tech-based learning spaces are helping spark creativity. So it's, it's really interesting. Uh, several schools are, and we've talked about this before, and Kevin Honeycutt used to talk about this a lot, about kids being entrepreneurs in school. Yes. But you know, we have that power, you know, to help kids build tech-based entrepreneurial ideas in school. You know, Chad had one right there, gaming and education. Right. You know, we're into the coding area. We're talking now about geolocation with Pokemon Go. We're talking about, you know, graphics. We're talking about the whole kit caboodle, the entrepreneurial part of selling it, of promoting it, of yeah. branding it, the whole bit. And I think that's really interesting that these schools have really jumped onto it, which you and I had talked about this probably 40, uh, probably 16 months ago, maybe 24 months ago. We, we talked about how do you get the entrepreneurial, you know, idea into schools. And sure. this is a great article about them creating these learning spaces that are, that are sparking creativity and then in turn, you know, possibly making an incubator, which kids then, you know, walk out and have created their own, you know, entrepreneurial idea. Then start to be little bosses. Well, and <laughs> some of these little kids are already little bosses. No? <laughs> um, well, I think of, and, and again, um, talking about some of the stuff that, that our friend um, Kevin Honeycutt does, you know, he likes to put out ideas and then get kids, get students to build on them. So talking about, you know, the incubator space and, and building that entrepreneurial spirit, he, you know, he needed a podium that he could, uh, that, that would serve as a travel case and a podium, and it right. would convert. And, you know, he put it out there, and a group of students took the challenge, and they created the Godium, and that is at GoGodium, so at G-O-G-O-D-I-U-M, GoGodium. <laughs> Make sure I got all that right. Um, and that's exactly what they did, and they've turned that into a business, and actually now there's a spinoff business uh, doing the same, I, having the same concept of uh, seating that is simple to assemble, simple to break down, and essentially packs flat. And so they have these, and if I remember right, it's four pieces. There's two circles and two more vertical pieces, and you assemble them uh, quickly, and boom, you've got a stool with a footrest, and it can go with you anywhere, and it breaks down. In fact, it fits in the godium, of course. Uh, and so, you know, there, you have these students who they were in an environment that allowed them to get that create creativity sparked and turn it into a way that these students could then turn around. And I don't know that the students themselves are making money at this point. I, I'm sure it's tied into the school. If not, who knows? Maybe maybe that school sparks the creativity to the point where when they're ready to spin off and be their own company, there's some kind of agreement and they spin off and they are their own thing. Yeah. I think that would be awesome. I really do. I agree 110%. I, and I think that's a really big deal. And, you know, take a look at what incubators do, you know, and start to build your programs, you know, looking at how incubators work. Like here in in, in Arkansas, we in Little Rock, we have, um, boy, my brain just, the Innovation Hub. Thank you, the Innovation Hub. <laughs> the Innovation Hub. I was going to let you hang out there for a little you. bit. That was not nice. Um, you know, they're, they've now opened up the whole incubator in. They, yes. That's all running for them. You know, and that's a really interesting part because I'm not saying schools have a lot of resources that young creative thinkers can use in an incubator type atmosphere mm -hmm. to really move themselves forward. Yeah. I mean, we are we are back at a place where you do not have to necessarily have a college degree to make a phenomenal living. Right. Our Absolutely. living period. Right. You know, Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny the agrarian society is not really where it used to be. You know, sure. we'd still have a lot of great kids who thank goodness become farmers and keep putting food on our tables. But you know, there is now the ability to go out and you know, if we could incubate them like FFA, like the agri uh, you know, programs do for schools. Mhm. Mm we can incubate them in tech and, and think that way because that's the way that the agricultural departments of high schools think. That's the way 4-H thinks. That's the way that FFA thinks. They think, hey, look, we're, gonna, we're turning out ranchers and farmers and, you know, cattlemen 
and livestock owners and you know that kind of thing. So we should be building these tech incubators to think the same way. We're turning out coders and we're turning out entrepreneurs and we're turning out app development and you know PR and the whole bit. Well, and the thing about that is, and to me, the great thing about that is they don't have to be uh, siloed. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, um, uh, right now, you know, one of the biggest businesses out there is is agriculture in terms of, you know, a lot of folks want healthier alternatives to the junk food that's out there. Uh, a lot of folks uh, are looking for ways to solve various farming related issues, um, uh, gardening related issues, those, kind, those types of things. You, you have the different incubators and, and different programs. So you could have, you know, you could have the agri class, be it FFA or 4-H or whatever, working with the tech, the folks who are part of the tech incubator, working together to solve a common problem that, you know, each, each of these uh, participants, each of these students, groups of students, they have their areas of expertise or their areas of interest, and they come together and solve the problem. You know, I, I think of the, um, I think of that chair that I just mentioned a minute ago. Um, the first iterations, they're, they're wood, they're wooden. So, you know, here you have folks that are maybe doing wood shop and that's their strong suit. And they want to be, you know, either maybe not necessarily carpenters or maybe they do want to be carpenters. I don't know. You know, or maybe they do want to be, you know, woodworkers, you know, creative woodworkers. You have these other folks trying to solve this almost kind of techie situation. You know, how do I get my technology presenters to be able to have this seating area that can go with them when they're flying? They come together and guess what? Now all of a sudden, you know, you got wood chips flying everywhere and there's a four-piece stool that assembles in about a minute and a half. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, and by the way, I think we could mass produce these and sell them. Hey, how about that? Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Um, we'll take a quick second here. Going to drop out to a little music while we shuffle for the end of this bad boy show. Shuffle it's up and be a great show. Um, we're going to play one of our favorite guys. This is uh, one of our guys we play all the time but it's nick c who is a relative of david so we give him a lot of air time absolutely um, uh, and we'll be right back uh right after this tune
Hey, that's Nick C. Uh, you're listening to edutechguys.com. Coming to you live from the Southwest Arkansas Educational Cooperative in Hope, Arkansas. We're glad to be here. Had a great show. Want to thank Chad Freeman for being on the show today. Um, every time we talk to him, which has now been twice, we, all, <laughs> we always learn something. And that's what makes it a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, always something new to learn there. And uh, we look for more from Chad in the future. He's going to be one of those bright stars to keep up with and find out what's happened in education. Um, Hey, uh, last couple of things. Go ahead, David. I'm going to drop it over to you. Yeah, man. A um, couple of things. Uh, first, before I get to where we're going to be, remember, follow hashtag Podstock16, P-O-D-S-T-O-C-K-16. Check out what's happening in Wichita. Um, the, the main focus is going to be over uh, the rest of today. Tomorrow is going to be the real big push, so you want to be following that and learn all kinds of cool techie stuff. Um, where are we going to be, though, over the next uh, little while? I don't know. Tell us. <laughs> you better know. All right. We are going to be at the Arkansas Conference of Technology. Uh, we did that back in January, February, whenever they had the first one. They have now pushed that out to October. So that's going to be October 19th through the 21st. We will be providing live coverage uh, each day, roughly uh, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central Time. Um, but uh, you'll be able to catch us live during that conference. And then uh, in November, we're going to be at the AESA conference, which is the Association for Education Service Agencies, their national conference. We will be doing live coverage there. That's going to be November 30th through December 3rd in Savannah, Georgia. Hello. Uh, and then we are slated to also provide live conference coverage from FETSI in Orlando in January. That's January 24th through the 27th, 2017. So uh, we'll be uh, tweeting that and posting that, and, and we'll be doing uh, blog posts and write-ups and, and uh, helping with uh, things coming along those lines. Uh, definitely uh, hope to uh, see you guys there if you're going to be there, uh, and if not, Tune in. Uh, we've got the phone number you guys can call in if uh, you've got uh, comments, questions, problems, horror stories. <laughs> Feel free to reach out. And you want to give them that number, Jeff? It is 870-729-1414. So, hey, the last thing we have for today is the Google tip of the week. <laughs> I surprised David. He, he did. did not I, know that we had one. I so, didn't know there was going to be one. I, I do have one. In fact, it released today. It's just an announcement from Google. And it's a really important one for all those tech coordinators out there and the folks that are handling Google apps for education. Um, if you know what uh, SCIM is, that's the System for Cross-Domain Identity Management. Um, so what actually was released today, 7-13-2016, is uh, they've launched a lot of, you know, Google has launched a lot of support for single sign-on for a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, the, crease, the process of creating, modifying, and deleting end-user identities in third-party applications, it, you can do it, and it's manual, but it's pretty darn time-consuming. Okay. You know, we run into that. Everybody has, sure. especially with a school district. You know, right. you're dealing with hundreds or thousands of kids. You know, you're dealing with something pretty big. So starting today, um, they're using SEIM 2.0 to make those processes simpler and quicker for admin. Cool. So right off the bat, they're going to start doing some stuff for business like Salesforce.com and other apps. But they're going to start turning out support for applications like crazy. So you're going to start seeing a lot of really cool, you know, ability to, to sync that together and fix that single user sign-on problem. So awesome. there's the Google tip of the day. I that think it's a pretty awesome. good one. It yes. means a lot to a lot of tech folks out there. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening and you're dancing around the room, you're taking your shirt off and you're woohoo, you're partying. <laughs> you, you wrote Google across the front and you paint your face the, the Google colors, then that's the way to go. <laughs> 
So if, I, you, if you did that, by the way, <laughs> please send us a send picture. Send us a picture. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Holy moly, bro. <laughs> so anyway, hey, listen, it's been a great show. Uh, once again, I've said it before. Thanks, Chad Freeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to all the listeners out there. We're going to get off the air. So um, I'm Jeff Madlock. I'm David Henderson. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Edutech Guys Radio, radio.edutechguys.com. The opinions expressed on this site and this program for those who participants are not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any specific educational entity, sponsor, company, state, or government agency. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet tier one standards? You You can can do do it it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.